0: Hello and welcome to LJN Radio, I'm your host Tim Muma and you're listening to Executive Decisions, where the goal here is to touch on the various aspects of being in an executive position, whether it's a day-to-day issue that are important or maybe taking a look at the bigger picture. Today, we'll actually be getting some insight and perspective from an individual with plenty of experience, including some time spent as a president and vice president of an organization, hoping to help us examine some of the keys to success at that executive level. We have Moira Vetter joining us from Georgia. Moira is the CEO of Moto Moto Agency, and we're happy to have her on today. Thanks for being with us, Moira.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Before we jump into sort of some of the keys, some of the aspects of these positions, give our listeners a little bit of an idea of what your role is currently and some of the aspects you take care of on a day-to-day basis.
1: Absolutely. Well, as CEO of Moto, Moto Agency, um, we are a growing firm. And so um, I think as any CEO in a high growth capacity, there's a constant shift from being on the business and in the business. Um, And so from uh, my perspective, you know, I work day to day building the brand, building and protecting our intellectual capital, expanding our thought leadership and really helping sell our services and cement our relationships with our clients.
0: Now, obviously, this isn't something you just fell into. You had to kind of work your way into the different positions you've been through. And that's one thing we wanted to give our listeners an idea about as well. Maybe describe, give a brief synopsis of A little bit about your career, how you achieved some of those positions, and just sort of the path you've taken to even get where you are today.
1: Absolutely. Um, Well, I kind of view it as having had two careers. Uh, My first career was when I started as a cashier at age seven in my father's firm. (laughs) Um, And so being in a family-owned entrepreneurial adventure Um, is a really formative experience for a young person. And I think that was my earliest introduction to business. But my second career, my real professional career, is 25 years um, I've spent in the business-to-business marketing world. And initially, that was on the client side. In the last 20 years, it's been very focused on the integrated marketing agency world. You know, uh, from early on into the really professional growth world, When I talk about the agencies, I've grown and held senior management capacities in four agencies. Uh, I've been president of three of them. I've owned two of them. And now I'm expanding into the publishing industry.
0: Well, obviously you're the right person to talk to then when we're talking about some of these issues that might pop up for executive positions. When you're talking about your career early on, was there some sort of turning point where you really did focus on, you know, I want to be in one of these higher level positions. I want to be calling some shots. I want to be leading people. I mean, was there a point that you really, I don't know, sort of stuck in your mind that, that got you to where you are?
1: Yeah. and And again, I... I say this, and I really hope it doesn't sound corny, but it, but it's true, and I, I brought up the, the first career in my father's right. pharmacy, and I really knew I wanted to be an executive when I sat beside my father in his big chair up in the pharmacy, and I saw customers come in and regard him with needs, respect, and affection. I mean, there is definitely a familial approach, and not only the position of that chair in the center of that business <laughs> on high, but the relationship that he built with the people that came in there, there was a huge amount of caring, but there was a huge amount of respect and responsibility and authority. And, uh, you know, I think it was absolutely encapsulated in my mind at that point. And I, from that day, from the very beginning, have operated um, and have was told this all throughout my career from different managers as if I owned the business. So whatever position I held As a secretary, as a receptionist at a business, I conducted myself as if it were my own business and with a degree of accountability and responsibility for everything going on around me as if it were my own. And I think that's really been a huge key to what's made me successful ultimately.
0: I think that's cool to hear that even from a young age, you sort of started getting that perspective and understanding that's what you wanted. Do you or did you in the past in terms of the business side of things, did you kind of lean on your father or any other family members in terms of just maybe talking about the different parts that go along with owning a business, running a business? Was that a factor for yourself?
1: It really wasn't. I mean, honestly, um, I have always been someone that sought models, studied them and emulated them. So rather than sort of a, a consultative or a counseling relationship, mm-hmm. I learned a lot from watching. Uh, my father is the pharmacist. My mother actually was the manager of the pharmacist. okay So I was able to watch from watch and learn from them. Um, but when I entered the professional um, environment, I would say I did the exact same thing with the managers and leaders um, that were ahead of me. I watched what they did. I watched what worked, I watched what didn't. I tried not to apply judgment, um, but I tried to take away the good parts of everything that I saw occurring around me.
0: Sure. So when you sort of look back and, and maybe again look at the path you've taken, do you see any sort of magic formula? And people talk about what's what's the what's the right way to do it? What's the best way to do it? I mean, anything you would point to that really facilitated getting to the different positions you've held in your career?
1: Yeah, well, I have a short answer and sort of also kind of a laundry list. Okay. <laughs> and I'm you know I'm a huge proponent of. Um, I do I don't really read business books, but I do read about successful business people and some of their prevailing thoughts. And if I absolutely had to boil it down to a formula, I did absolutely everything that was needed, the things that were asked and the things that were not asked. Hmm. And then I asked to do more. I asked to be exposed to more and I asked to be allowed to try more. So there's a degree of persistence about that. And, you know, if I had to sort of whittle it down to a list of things, uh, you know, think more and think bigger. Work harder and work more. Take accountability, uh, you know gain experience and value. Um, a really tricky one is learning to be authoritative without being arrogant or dismissive of others. Hmm. And then one that I think is really really pertinent now because you you hear a lot right now about uh, generational divides. Sure. You know the millennials, you know, people coming into the market behind the millennials, the Gen Xers and what role they'll play, and then as the baby boomers go out, And as you hear about these generational things, a big challenge right now is how you respect and learn to leverage the best of the old and established and stable things, but also retain and infuse the best of the new and the inventive and the exponential. And it's very hard to do, and a lot of people end up on one side of that or the other. And if you can maintain that... it doesn't always have to be humble, but a respect and a balance for <laughs> sure. all the stuff that came before me is now not obsolete and all the stuff that's coming ahead of me is not scary and should be shunned and, uh, you know, just not schooled enough. You know, so, th- so there are contributions that must continue at all times in history to come from both sides of that equation.
0: I think it's a great perspective, uh, just that, that gap as you talk about and the different perspectives, and I think it's a great way to look at it. I wanted to go back, though, to something you mentioned and, and maybe put mm-hmm. you on the spot a little bit. Sure. You said that you know the, the idea of being authoritative without seeming arrogant or being dismissive of others, whether it be an idea or a, a strategy or whatever it might be, yep. do you have any tips or advice to, to those out there that might be struggling with that or, or that might be a, an area they need to focus on?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's an area everyone has challenges with. I was propelled into um, management at a very early age. I think I was a vice president at 27. And uh, I managed people that were in their late 30s. Mm -hmm. Um, At one point, I think when I was 28, I managed someone that was 52. And a huge part of in your early career or or even in your mid-career when you finally have some authority, whether it's direct reports or authority over decision-making or controlling a team or a budget. I think there's a a natural tendency to say authority means I get to say yes and no. Mm -hmm. Um, Authority means I get to tell you when to stop or authority means I get veto power. And authority is not about power. Authority is about understanding the gravity of a situation, understanding what needs to be accomplished and understanding and being accountable for getting it done. And that doesn't necessarily mean it is in a dictatorial fashion or because I said so. And um, I think most people's first instinct is, here's how my parents did it. I'm the mom, that's why. (laughs) And so they think that if I now have a role of responsibility and I have authority, that means I get to say I'm the mom and that's why. Mm -hmm. Or I'm the dad and that's why. Don't, Don't question me. And that really isn't what authority is. And that's not how authority is successful you know, the challenge about not being arrogant is to be authoritative, you do need to be knowledgeable. Sure. And there's a way to be knowledgeable and to share your knowledge with people and not speak down to them or not demean them or, you know, bring them into the discussion or wrap their ideas into what you're saying for for everyone's collective thing. And, and that makes a huge difference in not coming off as someone arrogant. The same thing with being dismissive. I, you know, uh, I've worked, I, I, again, I, I looked younger than I even was. So at 27, I looked at 22. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, I was in a room full of men that were 50. And, you know, who the, who the hell is this kid in here telling me uh, anything? And, you know, you have to be able to first hold your own, prove that you have substance. But, you know, again, dismissiveness goes two ways. Older people can dismiss the ideas of young people because they feel, well, you haven't seen enough. It can go the other way. And and I see a lot of that now where younger people um, can say, uh, you know, well, you people, God, you you know, you're you're Luddites. You, you, you don't understand how to use technology. You're not open to new ways. Uh, and, you know, I'm going to dismiss anything you say because it's just tired.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, dismissiveness goes both ways. And I think it's something that if you really want to be a leader, you have to constantly be on guard for that. And you not only have to make sure you're not doing it, but you have to call everyone around you when you see it.
0: Well, you've already obviously given us a lot to sort of chew on and uh, you know, in different aspects that come up, different scenarios, different situations that you even talked about specifically. When you're in a position like you are currently as a, as a CEO, for example, mm-hmm. what really is the biggest concern for yourself? I mean, is, are you looking at the company side? Are you looking at the, the employees? Can you point to something that's really just the, the biggest focus for yourself?
1: Of course, it's all of it. But really, when it comes down to it, you have to continue to grow a relevant offering with a growing or stable set of buyers. And then you have to be concerned that you have the people that can deliver on that. Mm -hmm. And what I go back to there is if you're not in business, none of the rest of it matters. So Mm -hmm. and, and I don't care if it's a for profit business or it's not for profit. If you don't have a relevant proposition and enough people that need it and the people that can do it, then all your leadership training, all of your team building, all of your soft skills, all of your inventory, all of your contracts mean nothing. Um, And so to me, truly, that constant focus on relevance and demand and the ability to do it not only consistently, but better.
0: With that in mind, then what are some of those skills and and the, maybe the personality traits that you think are, I mean, really essential to be able to, to handle that side of things? Because even the way you sort of talked about it there, while obviously you're you're passionate about it and you understand that's the role, some might hear that and just be like, wow, that just sounds cold and calculated or, or something to that effect. When you're just worried about the business side, so I mean, are there things you point to as far as that skill side or personality side that are are just essential in your mind?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I, again, I, I think that. And, and I had a, a I think I have a good scenario that describes how you make that not sound cold and calculating. And it is a nonprofit example. So I was um, president of the American Marketing Association uh, here in Atlanta, the Atlanta chapter. And of course, in a nonprofit, you have different committees. And some committees mm-hmm. actually generate revenue and dollars that contribute to the operating of the nonprofit. But some of the committees are actually costs. And and it's that way in any business. There are, you know, functions in a business that don't generate revenue, they might mitigate costs. Or that, you know, they may help grow people. Sure. But they don't generate revenue. And there are other things that generate revenue. Regardless, they are all necessary as a whole to support the business as a whole. And we had gotten to a point with AMA where individuals who now had authority over a committee said, well, this is my budget and I generate this amount of money. And I don't know why that other committee should have my money because I grow it in my area and whatever. And we had to have this larger Mm -hmm. context discussion about, do you understand how this one event actually funds three of your committees that don't generate revenue? And therefore it isn't Mm -hmm. your money. It's the whole, it's the whole ecosystem. It's the whole Organization, and there are times that you are all costs to it, and there are times that you are all assets to it. And I I try to take that same philosophy in the business that we are all people. We're human. We're growing this thing, and we're going to have different contributions. And at different times in its life, some people are going to be contributing more. Some people are going to be costs. Some people are going to be revenue creation. Um, they're no less valuable. They're no less needed. Um, But they have different roles at different times. And you really have to look at that. You have to look at whether those contributions, I go back to obsolescence, are continuing to contribute to something that is growing, staying relevant or getting more relevant or entering new areas that are expanding. And if they aren't, you have to bring people back to, I love you. (laughs) You're wonderful. You are absolutely skilled. But to keep this particular entity relevant, uh, we need less of that and more of this. And you happen to fall into that less of that category. Now, one of the other things that I think really is important in leadership is making sure, again, to validate people that even if this entity doesn't need the skills that you have, helping them find the, the um, industries or places or type of businesses or business models that place a larger premium on those skills. You know, again, I've, I've worked very extensively in high growth businesses and, you know, the businesses I've worked in myself have ranged in size from one to five million dollars. But the companies that I've consulted on have been from startups all the way up to 80 billion dollar companies. And over time, all of those companies go through so many changes that, you know, positions that are absolutely critical, you know, this year. 2 years later may be completely irrelevant and it's you know it's critical in being a leader particularly mm-hmm. in being a CEO if you aspire to do that you need a broad network of people and you need to not have burned bridges you need to help people uh, and it's people that build all these things you need to help them stay relevant and connect them to other opportunities because it will all come back around you know their organization uh, you know they may not be essential in your organization today But five years down the line, they may have entered a new kind of business and they may be leading that business. And that business might be the most uh, critical strategic partner you need for where you are in the market at that time. And, you know, as long as you sort of conduct yourself with all people are necessary uh, and, and you look at the formula that way, that's how you keep it both human and real and you keep those bridges intact. Uh, and, you, and you always continue to build that network. It's not personal. It's about fit.
0: Well, I think it's a great perspective to, to sort of give the listeners there because I, I do think a lot of times with the business side, it does seem as though maybe that human element's taken out or that it's, it's not considered, but you obviously paint a different picture there with all of that. It does lend me to, to another question that always pops in my head and regarding any sort of executive position is, do you feel... Pressure? do you is there a lot of stress I mean I guess the easy answer of course is yes but where where does that come from where are those those stresses I mean what do you really uh, maybe what maybe affects you from time to time when you are in a position like you know CEO or another executive type position that um, obviously it's a little bit different than just sort of your run-of-the-mill job uh, in terms of pressure and stress
1: yes how long do we have here for riots of laughter <laughs> about whether I have stress? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, that's again the easy question, of course, is yes. But I guess trying to get into your mind yeah. a little bit like, what what really is the, yeah. the thing that might keep you up at night, or really just, just you fight with constantly? As a you know, again, it could be a million things, I'm sure, but yeah. Uh, yeah, just you know, something to focus on.
1: Yeah, and some of this may get a little redundant. I mean, again, I hate to go to the money, but fiscal responsibility really takes careful planning. And again, I, I've been in growth businesses, I am a growing business, and I Serve growing businesses. Mm-hmm. And uh, fiscal responsibility, particularly, and I hate to say particularly at this time in the economy, which I have said so much over the last five years, but it's always this time in the economy. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. 100 years ago, it was tough. In the Depression, it was tough. In the uh, you know 70s, it was tough. It's always a difficult time. So fiscal responsibility is always something that is very hard. And it takes careful planning. And Um, a lot of people aren't comfortable with numbers. I mean, uh, you know, I spoke to a group of women entrepreneurs the other day and women often get tagged with the, you know, well, we're not as good at math and we don't, I don't think anybody is, is as versed in finance as they could be. And Mm -hmm. I think that money, how it's used, how it's retained, how it's leveraged is a little murky and scary for people. And so I think that, that the fiscal responsibility for a CEO or for someone in authority uh, really takes careful planning. They're under a lot of pressure. Everybody wants to know what the return is. And so there's, there's a kind of stress that comes with that, which is just the money. Sure. The other thing, uh, I think growing requires risk-taking. And again, when you're in a constrained environment and you've got constrained resources, growing means you're changing something. You're doing something different. You're going out on a limb you're speculating. And, you know, you're not only speculating with business resources and assets and inventory, but with people. And so, um, you know, for me personally, and I think this kind of ties back to a previous comment I had made, I don't feel responsible just for the business. It's Mm -hmm. the people's jobs, their growth path, their happiness, our client satisfaction, their growth, um, and the impact we have on our discipline and our industry. I mean, you know, it's, It's not one thing. It's all those things together. And every time you add in growth a new element, something changes in the dynamic. And that change is going to affect someone. And there's a ripple effect. And that's where the stress comes from for a CEO or a person in a position of authority. If you are just a technician or a person with a line function, and I do these three tasks, and if I screw one up, that's the that's what's going to happen. The risks and the what could go wrong and the what the cost of that is is a whole lot more predictable than if we open that office and I add two more positions there and we fail to uh, gain clients there. I am affecting two families if we can't retain those jobs. Or if we scale up one side of the business and then reallocate our resources over there we may cut off resources to critical clients who have been a part of our business for a long time and how do we retain those Mm. relationships? And so every time you do something that changes something and you're in a real position of authority, the changes trickle down into human effects, fiscal effects, business effects, the model itself, your clients. And you can't just be looking at, well, I did this and it caused that. No, I did this. And these are the seventeen things that happened as a result of that decision, and I can't affect or change or do a damn thing about these four, but these thirteen over here, I really need to get on top of. And 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 you know, you have to be conscious of that. You only have so many hours in a day, and you're you're constantly looking at, um, you know, the risk of not acting and not growing. And then the risks of acting and growing. And so it's that constant trade off of what if I don't do it and what if I do do it? And and, and how many people will that affect? And, and, you know, change scares the hell out of everybody. So there's, you know, there's a responsibility as you're doing these risky or adventurous or unknown things of looking cool as a cucumber while you're doing sure. these things. You know, there's a method to my madness. Let's focus on the method and not the madness part, so we can all keep breathing while you know while we're doing this.
0: Right. We are getting a little low on time here already, but I did want to you know you, you mentioned all these these things, the the just the, the stress, the pressure, that sort of thing. Do you have advice in terms of handling it? I mean, does it really come down to preparation and, and planning? Is there another maybe nugget of, of of advice you could offer up to those listening?
1: Yep, absolutely. Um, I I have a few things here. Um, You have to have a safe group of peers to talk to, and it's very hard. There's a great book called No Man's Land that is about when you sort of ascend and you're, you know, whether you're on the top of the summit or, you know, you're in the higher ranks, there are less people with you. And it's very hard um, to share that stress and find someone that you can, uh, you know, work these things out with. And so Uh, Some of those places include uh, mastermind groups. Some people informally create those. There are groups like Vistage. Um, I'm a member of the Women's President Organization. Um, You know, there are all sorts of formal groups where there are non-disclosure clauses and senior executives can get in a room with other senior executives in non-competing industries and spill the beans. And so that is just absolutely critical. A second thing is, and and I really laughed about this one when I was younger, but the sad truth is as you grow in authority, you're also getting older and you have to commit to exercise. You Mm -hmm. have got to take care of your physical health because it affects your brain health. And if your body isn't working, your mind can't work, and you can't cope with the stresses we were talking about, you really have to put as many of your vices aside as you can and focus on Keeping the system that allows you to think and be creative to be at its best. And so health is really critical. And a lot of people laugh it off. and Yeah, I never have time. Well, if you don't have time for that, uh, it's kind of like the if you're not in business, then none of the rest matters. Mm -hmm. If you're not healthy, it doesn't matter what your title is. And then, you know, the last thing I think, and this does go back to the human factor, is because you can't focus on everything all the time. You have to remember that having a C in front of your name is not akin to being a superhero. It it doesn't mean you're not human and you have to be kind to yourself. You have to forgive yourself. You have to accept that whether others around you (laughs) will forgive you for decisions that you might make that aren't perfect, uh, you have to. So, you know, it goes back to accountability again. you, You are the ultimate person that must be accountable and forgiving to yourself if you fail in your role. Uh, as a senior executive, and then you must be accountable for taking the steps you need to to shore up whatever that is. If it is bad behaviors, if it is bad decision-making, if it is weaknesses in your ability to present, if it is weaknesses in your ability to manage the people beneath you, whatever those things are, you need to be okay with it, you need to acknowledge it, and then you need to go work on it.
0: Well, it sounds like a perfect place to finish up here. Uh, Again, we do appreciate you coming on and sort of giving us this insight and perspective into the world of an executive. And uh, as we talk about with our other shows, it may be different for every individual, but uh, you you clearly have a lot of experience in in this area, and uh, hopefully our listeners have taken a lot from that. So we appreciate you coming on today.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me on.
0: And with that, we will have to close out the latest edition of Executive Decisions here on LJN Radio. We've been speaking with Moira Vetter, the CEO of Motomoto Moto Agency, headquartered in Atlanta, and she's given us a, as I said, a glimpse into the world of an executive and hopefully been able to help out our listeners uh, just gain some perspective on those types of individuals. We would like to hear from you, our listeners, as well. So just send us an email to LJN Radio at localjobnetwork.com if you have any comments or suggestions for any of our podcasts here on LJN Radio. Once again, I'm your host, Tim Muma. We'll talk to you later.